Hello, everyone. Welcome into another episode of Kentucky Daily, a daily podcast covering your University of Kentucky Wildcats. I'm Sean Smith. He's Derek Terry. It's no longer week zero. It's now week one of the college football season, Derek. Kentucky, Miami, Ohio, right around the corner. A uh, lot to talk about with depth chart. We're going to get to some mailbag questions that we didn't get a chance to even get to last week because we couldn't line our schedules up. But hopefully this week we'll have a lot of football content coming your way. Yeah, so I can't remember if I told the pot or not, but I moved um, a few weeks ago, or I guess last week, last weekend, not not yesterday or the week zero week uh, with all that great football we had on. But the week before that, we were moving. And then last week, yeah, like you said, it just didn't really line up that well. We usually try to record them on lunch break, um, but just wasn't really able to work it out. But, Sean, we're back with a pretty loaded episode today, I think, Uh you know, the depth chart got released today. Mark Stoops' presser is currently going on as we record this. Um, some technical difficulties, it looks like, over at EK. I wasn't able to find any streams that were worth anything, so kind of gave up on that. And we're just going to talk about um, the, the big news, I guess, though. If you're on Twitter, you've seen this already. But, Sean, uh, Stoops did confirm what we already knew. Uh, Chris Rodriguez is suspended. Oh, well, actually, he didn't say he's suspended. He wouldn't use that word. But – Chris Rodriguez won't play, and Jordan Wright, the senior, fifth-year, sixth-year senior, actually, using his COVID year, uh, outside linebacker Jordan Wright, will also not play against uh, Miami, Ohio. But, Sean, what we don't know is how long either of those guys will be suspended, if there are other players that are going to be suspended, and what they're suspended for. Still things that we're not – and, again, like I, I just kept using the word suspended because it seems like that's what it is. Stoops won't use that word. I will. Um, but They're do not we really playing. know? Yeah, do we really know anything, though, that we didn't kind of already know? Because I think KSR had already reported that Wright was going to be out for week one as well. Yeah, I don't think so. Uh, I guess the thing now is is how long. You know, I know initially wasn't it Jordan Wright for one game, I believe yeah. is what the initial report was. We had no idea on Rodriguez. I know there were reports out there that was three to four games, uh, which would put that game next week. In Gainesville, I mean, that's that's one that you, you need, Rodriguez. You that They really closed that thing out a few years ago down there with Benny Snell on the ground, and I'm sure that's what they'd like to do too with a lead down there if they get it next week. But it's certainly going to test Kentucky's depth, especially at running back. It's a, it's a good thing that they added pieces there, you know, going into the season, and uh, we're going to see how deep that room is. Yeah, and I plan to go back and watch the Stoops uh, presser um, just to see – some more of the answers and um as it is right now I guess I don't want to say too much about it because I don't want to misquote him or whatever because I'm just I'm just reading off Twitter um but Sean the depth chart came out uh I have some takeaways I don't know if you've seen it yet uh a couple surprises a couple of things that I think have been trending but definitely a few that uh I didn't really expect and I guess where I want to start is we'll start with some positive things because we mentioned the guys who weren't on the depth chart um the first thing that I guess I looked for, and it's caught my eye, Barry on Brown. I thought he was a guy who would play a lot at the freshman wide receiver. Um, in terms of these freshmen, what, what I thought we were going to see, we all expected Dan Key to be a starter because they've been saying that since SEC media days. And he is listed as a starter at X wide receiver. But on, on the defensive line, I thought Deion Walker, the freshman from Detroit, was going to be listed as a starter. He is not. He's actually listed as a second string behind Octavius Oxendine. Um, those were the two I thought would be on there. But Barry on Brown did earn a starting job at wide receiver, which surprised me. And he also earned the starting job at kicker turner. So if those two things hold true, which I expect that they will, 
this depth chart can get a little crazy when it season starts going. Like it can just, it's not always applicable at the time. Typically for week one, it is. You can kind of, most of the time it's going to line up this way, at least for that first week. So, Sean, any surprises there? I mean, I know he was kind of the star account, but I kind of thought they might just give Demarcus Harris the nod, a guy who's been here for a few years. But as it is, it sounds like Brown and, and Key, two freshman wide receivers, are both going to be starting. Yeah, that, that's what I was going to say. You got you got two freshmen there starting at, at wide receiver. And uh, another thing that stands out to me, too, is you see the addition of tight end slash fullback yep. to the depth chart. So that's something that we haven't seen in a, in a long time uh, listed at that position. Uh, no, I mean, two freshman wide receivers. I mean, obviously, Barry and Brown, Dan Key, they're going to be a big part of what Kentucky does offensively this season. I know we talked about that a lot in our uh, offseason position previews, but I thought that Demarcus Harris would get the nod there over Barry and Brown. But uh, I, I guess the talent and the potential and the upside there is just too much. Well, I think that's a positive sign. I really do. I mean, I, I, I've said, and we talked about on this podcast, because Demarcus Harris is one of those guys back in the spring or maybe when last season ended, like, especially when it looked like Kentucky was bringing in two transfers because we knew Tavion Robinson had signed back in December, but there for a while, you know, they had Tosh Harris committed from Syracuse and then they had Javon Baker committed from Alabama. Neither one of those guys ultimately came here, but because they were bringing in two new guys, we knew they were bringing in a big receiver class. They recruited well at that position the last few years. It was kind of like, well, will DeMarcus stick around here or will he maybe transfer somewhere else where he can play more? I was hoping he would stick around. It sounded like he was going to be a guy pretty much all through camp who I thought would win a starting job. As it is, I think it's probably safe to say he's the fourth wide receiver. I think he'll still get quite a bit of snaps. But what this tells me and what I think we probably all believe, the upside for Brown is just so much higher. Like what he can be, his ceiling. I mean, he could be an all-SEC receiver. I don't think we're going to see that ever with Demarcus Harris, but I do like how reliable he has seemed to be, especially last year. Uh, in his career. A couple other depth chart notes. Uh, there's several, actually. Um, let's just go through here. It had been trending this way, Sean, but David Wallabo uh, did win the left tackle job to start the season. Stoops said today he has been more consistent than those other options. You look at DeAndre Buford, who was the left tackle all through spring ball, all through the start of fall camp. He's not even at left tackle on this depth chart. He's at right tackle backing up Jeremy Flax. I don't know if that's... Uh, one of these deals were uh, Wallabo and, and Keontae Goodwin, the true freshman out of Louisville, um, were both good. just clearly better, or if it was just like obvious it was not going to work out for DeAndre at left tackle. Either way, it's a big change from what we were talking about at the start of this camp because it looks like Buford will be no more than a rotational guy starting off the season, and there for a minute he was kind of going to be counted on to be the, the left tackle, so – I mean, Wallabo has the size. He has the pedigree. Six foot six, 302 pounds. Father played in the NFL for a long time. His brother played at Ohio State and also Duke. Um, and Stoops clarified this one, but you're talking about the left side of the line. You got a two redshirt freshmen. We mentioned Wallabo, Wallabo at a left tackle, Jagger Burton, highly rated recruit out of Frederick Douglass High School here in Lexington, uh, is listed as a first string at left guard. Kenneth Worsey has been dealing with an injury throughout camp, so it sounds like Burton's going to get the nod there. How are you feeling about two uh, redshirt freshmen starting on that left side of the line? Yeah, it's a good thing it's not an SEC game to, you know, to <laughs> right Next off the week, bat. I mean, soon, you know. Yeah, I mean, you're you're protecting Will Levis's blind side there. So, uh, no, I, I think it's – I think it just – obviously, it, it's the same thing we've been talking about with wide receivers. There's a lot of young talent on this roster, and I think it's going to bode well as this pro program moves forward. Uh, but I'm interested to see how those two do 
on that side of the offensive line starting. How, how many guys do you think that they play in the in this rotation of the offensive line when they're at full strength and they're healthy? I know when when it was John Schlarman, he was really good at rotating in a lot of guys, getting live game reps, getting experience, and I know that went away last season. Do you expect them to get back to that eight to nine rotation and starting to get some of those and more bodies in there and getting them actual reps and big time moments in games? I think that's a great question uh, and one I'll be curious. My, to me, and I've said this about Goodwin, and it's it's interesting because Flax still has multiple years. It, it sounds like he's been a guy no one's really been worried about because like you heard the whispers about Buford, people being kind of worried about if he could actually hold it down at left tackle. Everyone I've talked to has said Flax has been pretty solid uh, over there at right tackle. Will he be back next year? I'm not sure, but I bring him up because – I think there's a decent chance that both those guys you see at left tackle, if they keep improving and keep developing, I wouldn't be surprised at all uh, if Keontae Goodwin just simply is, is too good to keep off the field come next year. So I don't know. Yeah, he's huge. Uh, so I say that to say I think he will be rotated in at, the, at times this season. I think you'll get him some reps. I don't think he's going to be a guy who red shirts. I think it's pretty certain he's going to play more than four games. And in my mind, I think the ideal, and I'm not saying everyone would agree with this, but if Goodwin hits his potential, he's your starting left tackle next year, I think. Yeah. I think he's just too good if he develops into what he can be, which is a potential first-round draft pick. I mean, that's that's his that's his potential. He'll have to earn it. He'll have to get there. But let's live in a best-world scenario. What happens, Sean, if it's clear Goodwin, maybe not throughout this season is your best option at left tackle, but there's no doubt next year he is. Well, what if Holobo plays well? Yeah. left tackle do you move him over to right tackle do you move Goodwin over those are all questions we'll have to figure out but I do think they will start to be answered this year with what you're saying in terms of the rotation I don't know how they will do that but ideally Wallabo would play very well and you wouldn't really have to get other guys in there out of necessity but we'll see I, I do think Burton and Horsey I mean Jagger sounds like he's too good to keep off the field so I don't know what that looks like when everyone's fully healthy but I do think he'll rotate in quite a bit um, but then over there at right tackle for this year, I, I lean towards thinking Flax will play the majority of those snaps, which is something about how Buford's camp went that makes me think he'll have quite a reduced role if everyone's healthy. Yeah, and I'm just I'm just reading the size on this offensive oh, line. Yeah, they're I mean, huge. They're, Everybody, I mean, they're, they're massive. They're long. Uh, you you have a lot of names there that you know re big recruiting wins and stuff in recent years that you're now seeing show up. And be on that depth chart like a Jagger Burton, who Derek, I, I still think today is our probably our most popular podcast episode on this podcast over all the basketball episodes and everything. I'm pretty sure his interview was still our highest one. Uh, he's that. on that. Yeah, they they absolutely love that. You got Eli Cox there in the middle, uh, John Young, a name showing there up, showing up there on the depth chart. I mean, there's there's a lot of talent there, and I, I do think Kentucky's offensive line will be will be fine as the season moves along, which then. Gets us into that running back situation. Cavassier Smoke listed there. And then you got uh, Jefferson there behind him. Who gets the most carries in week one? Jefferson. I think so, too. Uh, I 100% think that that's who gets it. And I think uh, let's just assume that Rodriguez will not be in action at Florida. Just going off the situation right now, we don't know anything for sure. But uh, I think that that's going to be your guy in Gainesville in week two. I do too. And you know, it is, um, I guess you could call it a luxury in a way to have a guy like Smoke who uh, has played a lot of football for Kentucky, been in and out of the lineup with injuries over the course of his career. 
he was a guy I wasn't sure was going to come back this year just because they had so many other running backs, but he stuck it out. And I don't know if that's Stoops rewarding him or if he had a good enough camp or what, but yeah, he's listed as a starter. Interesting. They only listed two guys here. You don't see many, I don't see three guys listed. Um, well, there are a couple of oars, but in general, this is really a true two deep, especially on defense or no, I don't see defensively. There are no oars at all. I don't think. Um, I don't offensively, see. there's a there's a few on offense. Um, Tied in position. Yeah, like no Jatama McLean, which is surprising to me because I mean yeah. running back is one of those. But and then again, the depth chart it is what it is. But like Jatama McLean's going to play a lot. Um, you still have Lavelle Wright, who I don't know if he'll be out there week one or what. Uh, I believe he's had something happen that nothing uh, nothing to do with what uh Rodriguez and Ryder going through Jordan Wright um but I just I think he had an injury that's kind of kept him out um should be back pretty soon so that that kind of leaves you four running backs for game one smoke Jefferson McLean and then Michael Drennan who's uh buried down there somewhere on the depth chart but still pretty good depth though really to not have Chris Rodriguez you still have a lot of guys who have produced well um in college but one other thing sean just just going through here we mentioned brown we mentioned key as the starters uh mentioned did we talk about deuce hogan on here or was that before <laughs> uh we, we talked about it before and that's actually before, Melbourne yeah. question, talking about uh let's save that uh, then um yeah so the last comment then i would have on tight ends and i think this will be one that surprises a lot of people but isaiah cummings listed as a second string behind jordan dingle it, it has an or because it's tight end slash fullback which you mentioned as a new addition to this year's depth chart but Jordan Dingle from everything that I've heard and if you watch those UK videos he might be their best tight end yeah I mean might be their best guy out of a loaded room it's hard to ignore everything we've heard about him so you've also got Brenda Bates up there with an or with Keaton Upshaw and then Josh Caddis who was kind of the talk of in terms of the under the radar guys maybe coming into this fall camp he was someone who um I mean, they've listed every tight end on here, all five guys. So I don't know that all five are going to play a ton, but it's a great room. Uh, expecting big things. But that that surprised me. I heard that a, a few weeks ago that this was likely coming, that Cummings was going to be below Jordan Dingle. I mean, there's a lot to be excited about in that room, but I do think that's something that will surprise a lot of people. Yep. And uh, we've, we've got some mailbag questions here too, Derek, that I think we've honestly already answered a few of them. Uh, but we can dive into to these. Uh, I know Levis is a tough kid, but I'm really nervous about what happens if he goes down for even a game or two. How much hope is there for an adequate, adequate QB2 if the need arises? Is that Hogan or Sharon? Well, going off today's depth chart, it's Deuce Hogan. How concerned are you, Derek, especially with a young side of the offensive line there early in the season that maybe you want to keep Levis clean? Uh, you don't want to see Levis maybe giving up his body for some of those uh, some extra yardage there early, especially against Miami Ohio or some of these non-conference opponents. I think it's pretty important that Levis stays healthy, but how concerned are you if, if he does have to miss any action? Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's only a kick. 
a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I'm pretty concerned. I mean, I only saw one practice, and again, it was one of the first ones of the the fall, but I didn't think either Hogan or Sharon looked all that great that day. But again, they had a lot more practices after that. It's interesting because if you go off high school rankings, like Hogan probably by the composite was, was either ranked just as high or maybe a little higher than Bo Allen. I don't know if it's a local bias I have just because I covered uh, some Bo in high school and he just played here, so I was a little bit more familiar. But something about having Bo there as a backup made me more comfortable. And if I had to ask myself, should I really be more comfortable? But then you look at Hogan. Kirk Ferentz at Iowa had that really weird, like, out-of-nowhere statement about Deuce, just kind of throwing him under the bus, and you can go look that up online if you don't know what I'm talking about. And he transferred here as a walk-on. By his high school ranking, he was certainly good enough to be a scholarship player, and he was a scholarship player at Iowa. I don't really know the story behind him coming here. I'm not surprised he got the second, the backup job, because that was starting to come out when Bo left, that Deuce was likely going to be the guy. He's got a good arm. He's uh, – Sorry, it's storming here in Lexington. If you hear some thunder in the background, um, he's got a good arm. He, he seems like a, a smart kid, coach's son in high school. So I don't think it would be catastrophic bad. But when it comes to winning some most toss-up games, yeah, I would I would have some big concerns about Kentucky being able to beat many SEC teams outside of probably Vanderbilt. But that's a that's a problem for a lot of teams. You're not going to see a whole lot of teams in college football, especially with the portal now, um, who are just have backups that are that are great players but not surprised that deuce won the backup job let's put these two questions together uh brad says do you think fullback justice dingle will mainly be used for blocking exclusively or do you see him potentially being an option in the pass and run game and then timothy says how big of a concern is left tackle if a weakness can uk use tight ends and fullbacks to help mitigate related risk oh yeah absolutely on that i mean i think that's one of the um I think one of the advantages of having a coordinator like um, Scangarello, who is very com- comfortable with some of these pass blocking schemes. I mean, the NFL, you know, it's, it's a little different. I mean, it's a little different having a veteran left tackle in the NFL who you can know is going to be a stone cold block to produce for you versus what Kentucky's going to have here with Wolobo making his first start. Um, I don't know how big of a concern it is until we see him play. Like, Again, if you want to use recruiting rankings, like this was a guy who had plenty of solid offers. I think it's just like a little early. I just don't think many people where he wasn't talked about a whole lot. It's almost like it's more of a concern that he's won the starting job. But on three, the new site, whatever you think of that website, I mean, they had him as a four-star guy right around top 250. In that frame, if you're talking about a redshirt freshman who was highly ranked, it's not that surprising, I guess, that he's a starter, right? You know what I mean? Like, if he's highly ranked there, it's it's a little early. Um, maybe in some people's eyes, some of those offensive linemen, they're real slow burns where they just take Bunchy Stallings as an example of a guy who was like four years in at UK before he even did anything. So, for Wallabo, I mean, I could see him being good. He's got the size for it. I think, he, like I said, he's got the, the pedigree with what his dad did and his brother. I'm excited to see what he can do. I am too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, then we have one from John here. What's your current thoughts on Scangarello's ability to call plays, and are the players becoming comfortable with the schemes? Uh, Derek, that, 
probably feels like something that we won't really be able to, to get in on until probably, I don't even say this week, I'm going to say after week two is yeah. when we can probably answer those that question a lot better because then we'll have two games of tape, we'll have uh, two results, and then we'll see where Kentucky's wide receivers, where Levis is, where the running backs are, where, where a lot of things are once you get through week two. Week one will answer some questions, but I feel like that trip to Florida will be where we really get a lot of questions answered. I agree. Um, as far as John, uh, his question, excuse me. Um, how, how big is it you think that they got an experienced quarterback coming back, breaking a new offensive yeah. coordinator? New things offensively. It, it it helps that this is Levis' second year, not his first year. I mean, you're talking about a guy. I know his stint was brief with the Broncos, but I mean, Rich has been a, an offensive coordinator at the highest level. So I mean, I feel like you don't get that job unless you know what you're doing. You know what I mean? Even though he got fired after a year, that's that's life in the NFL. All those dudes get fired uh, eventually. Very few people are able to to last a long time in one job. I mean, Belichick's one of the great coaches in the NFL of our lifetime, and I mean, even he was fired previously before getting to new england so it's not like uh i think any less of rich Gangarello. i mean wait long enough sean liam cohen who's great here like if he coaches long enough in the nfl he's probably going to get fired at some point it's just how it is in that league um but those guys tend to recycle through so i i do think that Gangarello knows what he's doing um I, I would expect that he has a pretty good year calling plays and in terms of being comfortable i would hope they're pretty comfortable just because it didn't seem like things changed a whole lot uh, some different nuances here and there, but you know that's what I think. I, I think he'll be pretty good, and I think that the players should be pretty comfortable. But the other question asking about kind of the uh, blocking schemes and whatnot that that could be interesting to see how he how he does that if if some of these guys aren't able to hold up all that well on the line you know what kind of tweaks does he have from his past experience with the 49ers or the Broncos or whoever to kind of help those guys out. Uh, Ron has a question here. The last few years, we've had an unquestioned defensive leader. Who is it this year? Lots of talented guys, lots of young guys too. Has anyone really stood out as the vocal guy or just the most productive of the bunch? And I mean, obviously, Derek, you know, you got experienced guys like DeAndre Square, Jacquez Jones. I mean, you know, J.J. Weaver there on the edge, Jordan Wright when he is available. I mean, there, there's a lot of guys on that defensive side who do you see being the guy that takes charge? Is it more than one guy? Square was the first name I thought of when I saw this question. Um, but Jacquez Jones in year two, I, I think because uh, you hear coaches talk about it as the inside linebackers, typically the middle linebacker kind of being the quarterback of the defense. I think you naturally kind of gravitate towards that position when you're thinking about leaders. Um and Jacquez Jones being another year in, I think he could be a guy that's that's pretty vocal. I just think those backups are going to play a lot, though, Sean. Like, I think Derek Jackson and Trevin Wallace are going to get a lot of run this mm -hmm. year. Uh, and it doesn't mean that you have to be out there every single snap to, to be an unquestioned leader, what have you. But Square would be a, a guy on my list. I think J.J. Weaver is another guy who this year could take on even more responsibility as in that role. Uh, I think his importance to this defense is huge. He's one of the guys I think they just cannot afford to lose. He's that good off the edge, especially Jordan Wright's going to be out. Because uh, then you're in a spot where you have a true freshman, Keaton Wade, who I think has great potential down the road. Don't know that you want to be counting on him right now, though, uh, to play a ton of snaps. So that's that's a big one of my eyes. Um, and I've never talked to this kid a whole lot when I was on the beat, but everyone says so many great things about him. Uh, Octavius Oxendine 
maybe not necessarily this year, but I bet next year could be a guy we're talking about as a as kind of one of those unquestioned leaders. And then just in terms of guys who have played a ton, you still have Ty Asian back there in the in the back half of the defense at strong safety. So those would be the guys that jump out immediately to me. And I believe this might be our last one. Uh, Ollie says, what do you project the running back depth chart to look like? I know we got into this earlier. So many different skills and styles there. I'm specifically interested in where Rot is in depth projections. Should we be concerned about our offensive line tackles? Um, obviously, I, I say we project this with Rodriguez, right? Like, let's go with whenever this is suspension or whatever we're going to call it, whenever it's up. And if he plays, obviously, we know he's going to be at the top of this thing. But how do you see it? Let's just move ahead here. We don't, we don't know. We've not got to see anything yet. But let's move to... Let's go to October. What do you think it's like in October? The running back room. Say Rodriguez, Jefferson, and then just probably the hot hand after that. Um, McLean is interesting because I think they can do so much with him in the slot that he he might be out there in other roles versus just kind of a lining up as a true running back. And they could have two running back sets. I mean, they can do a lot with the personnel they have on offense so but as just to line it up every day every down I mean kind of back I don't really see that being Jatom McLean this year the guy that I think could form into that is Lavelle Wright um I could see I could see them kind of doing this thing where McLean and if they want to play Drennan both of their roles are kind of in terms of being versatile being able to catch the ball maybe they split out a wide receiver some I think that's the way to get those guys on the field not to say McLean's never going to run the ball I think he certainly will but in terms of that, hey, we need a couple yards right here. We're trying to grind out the defense. Let's turn and give the ball a few times. Like Rodriguez, Jefferson, and Wright in that order would be my guess. And Smoke, that's why it's so fascinating to me that he was listed as a starter for this game because I kind of thought that he was going to be down on the depth chart a little bit. So you can't dis dismiss him because uh, he's clearly going into the season as a starter. But – is that, Will you actually that, outsnap other guys? I don't know. That, that's where I was getting at with my question yeah. earlier in the episode is what's the – you can go off the depth chart, but what's the snap count? And uh, who's playing the most snaps, who's getting the most carries, things like that. I, I think that will be the tell. Now, if smoke comes out and, and breaks a few, then, then you may see him set himself up for, for more opportunities. So he's, he's obviously getting an opportunity that I don't think he would have gotten had it not been for Rodriguez being out. Yeah, I mean, no doubt about it. Uh, Sean, I think, like you said, I think that was all we – I don't see any more. Uh, make sure I haven't missed any in well, – Ollie, so this was tweeted at a time, I think, with the uh, – Ollie here said, if Stoop started dishing out Stone Cold stunners to his enemies, who gets the first stunner? I'm going to say this was probably sent in around the time the Shane Beamer stuff was happening. Who would get his first – or and also the John Calipari stuff. So, who who you say, Sean? Who's Stoop's dishing out Stone Cold stunners to you? <laughs> oh goodness let's think here uh john calipari's getting the first one i'm just kidding so cal came to his office to apologize and Stu's immediately hopped up off his desk and power bombed him yeah uh, i don't know i mean duh did we talk about the beamer still? yeah we did that was our last episode we, we did yeah we talked about it it's just uh, odd it's just odd like stoops is it's been different it's just been a different off season for him i don't know what it has been the uh, guy that's usually not throwing the the jabs or even well i don't even want to say jabs the guy that usually doesn't say anything that could be put on a bulletin board he's always been the guy that's been taking the the clippings and putting it on his own bulletin board well he's been dishing them out now 
And obviously, I know since then, there's been some back and forth where he said that that was not targeted at South Carolina or Shane Beamer. He was talking about his own program. And well, clearly, Beamer thought the opposite because oh, he's had a couple of times. We've, we've uh, all the opposite. I mean, I don't yeah. see how you take that any other way other than no. saying it was about Beamer. No, dance around, stupid sunglasses. Like, like I, don't, I don't ever recall Stoops putting on sunglasses or dancing around at any point early on in his tenure at UK. So, yeah, we're, we're definitely talking about Shane Bieber. And then speaking of Shane, he shows up in the mailbag uh, with, two top 50, with two top 50 players in college football, obviously Rodriguez and, and Levis. And deepest wide receiver in the Stoops era. What is the offense's ceiling? I think they have the potential to be a top 25 offense in the country. Derek, do you agree? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think even higher than that. I think top 15. Uh, that's if everything clicks. And that was assuming, you know, Rodriguez was going to play a ton. So take him out for a third of the season or whatever it might end up being. And, and maybe it's not quite as efficient, but, you know, God forbid they drop into these non conference games. Uh, early in the year. I mean, I wouldn't expect it. So if you're looking at it in terms of uh, what's the significance of not having Rodriguez for those first four, I mean, Florida at Florida is a game that's, I think, much harder to win now. I, I wouldn't say much harder. I think it's, I think it's definitely harder, although I do have faith that they have a deep enough room back there to, to not be stonewalled, you know, every time they're trying to run the ball. Um, but I do think Rodriguez is the best running back on the team. And when you take him out of the equation, it's going to hurt you against a good defense or what could be a good defense at Florida. So I don't know how that will affect ultimately the, the rankings, but if Levis hits, I don't, I don't, it's just an interesting offense, Sean, because they have so many options at halfback. They have so many options at tight end. I feel like their wide receiver room definitely has way more potential, but it's, it is three newcomers who are going to be starting and Two young guys on the left side of the offensive line, at least for this first week, maybe Horsey slides back in there week two. That does make it questionable enough, I would say, that it maybe makes me pause a little bit on what the ceiling could be. But I would be surprised if they're not a good, productive offense and I think could be the best one in the Stoops era. I think last year was number one, right, in the Stoops era. Liam's first year, I don't remember where they finished nationwide, but they had pretty good offensive numbers, all things considered, especially whenever you talk about the year-to-year jump from 20 to 21. It was a huge jump. And so, and the, and the balance for only really being – I mean, Wondell was the biggest chunk of it when it comes to the passing game, but they still managed to have good balance, uh, especially with play calls and things like that. Uh, last, last note here, this isn't anything to do with the mailbag, but I do think it's worth mentioning that that Chris Rodriguez needs 1,134 yards to break Benny Snell's career rushing record. Obviously, multiple game suspension looks like that is coming. It takes that average needed if he'd played if he'd have played 13 games, he needed to average 87.2. Let's say that thing's down to 10 games or they played nine games, it goes to 113.4 or 126 per game. So Jeez. it it significantly changes that had he just if he stayed healthy, it's probably happening to He's going to need some big games, and I'm certain that Rodriguez will have those big games when he plays. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those records that would be interesting because Snell did it in three years, although he got a ton of, you know, Benny played. And, and Rodriguez did too to an extent. I mean, he benefited tremendously in 19 when they only ran the ball. And then in 2020, they were still run first. A little bit more balanced last year. But Snell was, uh, you know, after 2017-2018, I mean, that offense was centered around him. Uh, but still, to do it in three years, the way he did to break all those records, it was really well, uh, an impressive career. And I would like to see that record stand a little bit more than just a, a couple of years, well, selfishly. Well, I was about to say, is it bad to say that 
it feels like Benny kind of is the record holder regardless of what happens, just because, and like you said, the three years and everything, and didn't even play the first couple of games of his career. At right, UK. Yeah. So, yeah, like that is uh, – I mean, obviously, Rodriguez has had an excellent career as well, and if he gets that, then he gets it. I mean, we have to remember, too, he uh, he was in the doghouse there for half a season before, before he came back and, and got a bunch of carries. If he hadn't fumbled a couple of times there early, he's, he's probably already sitting somewhere closer to that mark. Well, yeah, he lost snaps last year, too, at times, because yeah. in South Carolina, they eventually just took his ass out. <laughs> he couldn't hold yeah. on to the ball. So, uh, yeah, he, he could have had a few, because that was, you know, fourth quarter round that I can't remember if he got put back in or not. Those games are all kind of a blur once they're, uh, once they're done. But, no, that's a good point. I mean, getting up to potentially 120, that's assuming, you know, he plays in a bowl game and everything. Having, if you play nine well, games, I'm assuming he missed four. So, you know, if you take 13 games, including the bowl, take four games off nine. You said 1134 divided by nine. Yeah, 126. That's, I mean, you can do it, but that's kind of, you're not that's a few huge games, like you said. Well, and then if, if you miss a game at any point due to injury or anything like that, then that number goes to 141.7. Yeah, probably not going to be able to average that. I wouldn't yep. think for I mean, that's, yeah, that's in crazy, that's crazy numbers and crazy statistics. So not with the depth and not with how much more they'll probably throw the ball this year. Yep, for sure. And uh, I guess one thing too is, if you're Mark Stoops, how are you approaching this? I mean, how have you approached it in fall camp? Like, how many reps has Rodriguez been getting with the ones? Uh, obviously, you know, game reps and stuff here, you're going to focus on the guys that you're going to have. But what are you doing to keep him sharp and keep him ready for when he is available? So that's uh, a, a lot to juggle there, but I'm sure they'll they'll manage it. Yeah, good point. I mean, you got to keep him fresh in a way, but yeah, I mean, you can't be having him out there getting a ton of practice reps if you know he's not going to be available for four weeks. You got to make sure the guys that are going to be out there uh, are ready to take on the take on those carries. Yep. So uh, I guess we'll get something on on exactly how many games and stuff moving forward. I mean, at some point we'll we'll know something on how long these guys are out and when they'll be back. But uh, it certainly sounds and looks like Rodriguez could miss what all of September. If it is four games, then it would be that, that road trip to Ole Miss. So uh, we'll see. But Kentucky football here right around the corner, just a few days away. Kentucky, Miami, Ohio, Saturday night under the lights at Kroger Field. As always, the show is powered by Blue Wire Pods. It's also powered by the Butcher's Pub. you got three locations, Palmville, Williamsburg, and London, Kentucky. You can visit thebutcherspub.com or check them out on Facebook. He's Derek Terry. I'm Sean Smith. We'll catch you next time on Kentucky Daily. 